Hello everybody, welcome to Ubi Est Mia. My name is Brandon Weatherby. This is a podcast about Chicago by former Chicagoans. Today's guest is Karen Demersian. She is currently a resident of Washington, D.C. and works for the Washington Post. She's a fantastic reporter and you've probably seen her stuff probably about Russia covering very, very, very uh, heavy subjects. So this is not that. This is a much more relaxed uh, free-flowing conversation about how Chicago shaped her, or how it didn't, uh, you'll find out. If you want to skip ahead, skip ahead to the last two minutes. Uh, what she says about Chicago in the last two minutes is why we're doing this show. So, without further ado, here's the episode. Why did you ever go to Chicago? I went to Chicago because it was random. I mean, I, I got a job offer there, but it started in D.C., so my last ditch at staying in journalism mm-hmm. um, was after graduate school. Okay. Um, Where'd you go to grad school? I went to graduate school at the Fletcher School for, of Law and Diplomacy at Tufts. and That's a good school. It's a good school, but it's not a journalism school. Okay. Um, and I had thought about, I had planned on going and kind of splitting time with the Columbia program. And then I got in. And then I asked to see classes before um, handing in my security deposit, and they wanted me to hand in my security deposit, and I got in an argument, and I decided I wasn't going to go because it was expensive. And, and this so, is Columbia in New York. This is Columbia in New York okay. to split time with Fletcher, which is right outside of Boston. Anyway, okay. this is becoming a longer story than it should be. But um, So Fletcher, I did international law was my concentration, and everybody was like, you should go to law school because I did these moot court competitions, and I scored really well, like, you know, on the global competitions and and I was like oh well I don't know so I did um, a journalism internship that summer in Portland Maine they offered me an extension but I didn't want to stay in Portland Maine and so I went to go work for the United Nations um, in DC no in New York in New York okay. in the secretariat so this is all leading up to answering your question. Oh, I, you are doing a great job <laughs> I went to go work for the United Nations and um, I knew pretty much on day three that it wasn't for me. I what was were you in doing the, at the United Nations? So I was in the Office of the Legal Counsel, and it was a really interesting project, actually. I was working on um, designing a draft, draft international laws for responses to natural disasters because... Um, and it was supposed to be submitted. I think it was eventually submitted to the International Law Commission, but the whole problem was that in the aftermath of a natural disaster, and this was just a few years after the big tsunami in Asia, um, more people die not because of the natural disaster, but in the aftermath because of diseases, because there's a delay and a lag on how quickly donor countries can actually get aid to the countries that need it because there's not a lot of standing bilateral. Everything's usually a bilateral, a trilateral agreement or an agreement between the Red Cross affiliate there and the country. And if you don't have some the that agreement covering the parameters mm-hmm. for what you've got to deal with, you have to renegotiate a whole legal construct because many of those countries, I mean, this was before you had the changeover in Burma and that mm-hmm. was one of the places affected. They are terrified of letting in foreigners, and especially if you send like military foreigners to go and distribute that aid. It's a big problem. So there's a lag. And so the whole idea was like, let's try to work on building from the ground up of what already exists in national laws, you know, some sort of international structure where we can have a standing thing or at least a standing basis to get people help Mm -hmm. faster so they don't die. Fascinating topic. Also, you know, it was a combination project with them. Yeah, I was working with the Office of the Legal Counsel and 
I mean, it was an internship, so, you know, uh, it should have been super exciting. And I just kind of knew that the pace of it was driving me nuts. Too slow, too fast. Too slow. Okay. So slow. Because, I mean, again, this is like you put 10, 15 years into these projects and you hope that they go someplace. Yeah. And you're never necessarily guaranteed to see the fruits of your labor. And also, I do remember that it struck me, this had nothing to do with that project, but um, that was the, it was late 2006. So they were just naming the new secretary general. And there was all this scuttlebutt about who it was going to be. Was it going to be Shashi Tharoor? Was it going to be Ban Ki-moon? It was eventually Ban Ki-moon. But I remember that, like, I worked in the secretariat building and I didn't, I had to find out hours later from like a BBC article that went up. Like you didn't know anything just because you were in the building about oh, the decision okay. that they made. And I was yeah. like, I can't deal with the base of this. It's too slow. What's the... Anyway, so that was... Um, while I was there, I was like, okay, this is going to be my last ditch of journalism because I don't have student status anymore. Okay. Basically, I just finished school. Um, it's my last shot to try to get an internship. It hadn't worked well. I'd been trying for maybe two or three years, and I'd got that one bite in Portland that okay. felt like a real one, but I didn't want to live in so Portland. So this is 2006. Forever. You're roughly, you're still in your early 20s. You're still I'm, in the first half of 20s here. I don't, should I identify exactly how old I am? I'm not, and I'm not going to do that, but let's be fair. <laughs> you're a young person. I went to grad school really early. You're so, a young, this, yeah, is, so. this is not most people's last ditch attempt at anything other than it felt like a the last Junior thing. Olympics. Like you were a very able-bodied, smart person. Able-bodied, smart person, but I had done music all through college, and so I so what does that not, have to do with journalism? Nothing. Okay, exactly. Oh, I see your like, point. I concede. I and and I had done one year working at NPR, yes. like but in a production role, and that wasn't getting me any sort of reporting bites. And yeah. I hadn't worked for my college newspaper, and I hadn't. I mean, I had done like a semester at the news division of my college radio station because I was a classical DJ, and I kind of went across the hall. How popular was your classical music show? Actually, actually, you go wait a second. I went to Harvard for undergrad. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. It was really and it was popular. pretty popular. It was really- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, Not necessarily true. among like the college audience, but in general around Cambridge and Boston, it was pretty popular. Sometimes yeah. stereotypes are true and they're great. And it's really this great when it works out. Right, so exactly. Yeah. Okay. So you're, uh, you're an incredibly popular college radio DJ uh, playing no, your I didn't stereotypical have like a, classical music. I didn't music. have like a following personally, but like in yeah, general. Yeah, you, you had a bunch of guys in sweater no, that you didn't know about loving the show. A nerdy girl can dream. Oh, it's so great. This is so great. Okay. So you go from Harvard. Perfect. (laughs) You're from outside of Boston. We should say that. Yeah. I'm from Lexington, Massachusetts. Okay. So, um, yeah. So Harvard, almost no journalism. Like Mm -hmm. at the very tail end, I was like, I think I want to do this. Um, Then I go to DC, work for NPR for a year, realize I really want to do this. So I... And I want to be a foreign correspondent, I decide, yeah. right? Because that's the most exciting stuff I'm editing in the booth. I'm working for All Things Considered. So um, apply to get to, to go to schools to do like a combo program. And I would have actually, there was a standing combo program with Fletcher and Northwestern, but I didn't get into Northwestern. So it was like, okay, Fletcher and Columbia. But then I didn't go because, you know, money stuff slash just a little bit hot tempered about, you know, I should be able to see the school first. Totally and, makes sense. You should probably see where you're going to spend a long time. Right. I mean, beyond just like the welcome weekend, you know, here's how we put ourselves on display sort of thing. Anyway, it's still a great school. I have a lot of friends that have gone there, but I didn't go. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> so you're at the UN. So I'm at the UN trying out this law stuff that mm-hmm. everybody told me I should really be serious about doing. Which totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. Very practical. You know, I was good at it in school, but like, it's just not 
clicking and I knew it wasn't clicking. And so I decided, all right, one last round. And I mean, at this point I had tried for, I think three internship rounds to try to get something. And I had barely gotten that internship in Maine and like, and I didn't have, it wasn't a very like positive, this is going to work sort of sense I was getting. And again, like I didn't have as much experience as other people. So totally fair. I remember I found this internship program called the Washington Center for Politics and Journalism. And I think that applications, I I don't remember exactly what day, but let's say they were due November 3rd. It was like the first Friday of whenever it was. And I found it on that day. So, or maybe the day before. And I remember calling and being like, hi, I totally misread the instructions. Like, I thought it just had to be postmarked by today. And, you know, they were like, okay, whatever. And I made all the other interns in that office of the legal counsel cover for me for the day, basically, and help me like run copies, yeah, like, yeah. Particular clips thing. send it off, don't hear anything for about a month. And then they called and, you know, did an interview. And then I got into the program and the program had 12 people and it funneled you into different um uh, diff- different newspapers that had basically signed up to give money to the program. It was like you went to two seminars a mm-hmm. week and then you were supposed to do an internship in D.C. and you got paid for it. Cool. But you didn't know who you were going to work for when you got in. Okay. And I do recall that still when I was in New York, um, I got an email from the program after I'd gotten in saying um, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch wants to talk to you. And that's a paper people know. It's a paper people know. But I didn't want to work for the St. Louis Post Dispatch. <laughs> and I knew they had bigger papers on their roster. And I shouldn't be saying this on a podcast. No, that's but... exactly what you should be saying. <laughs> There's a reason. No, this is going to people mostly in Chicago for a reason. Everyone in listening could have moved to St. Louis. Most people move from St. Louis to Chicago. That's true. That's a tr- that's usually yeah. The, Cardinal the suck trail. is the premise of the show. No, oh, go ahead. Wow, that's terrible. You're Although, a Red Sox fan. I know. I'm supposed to you know just lord it over St. Louis yeah. at every sports opportunity possible. Right. Exactly. Anyway, um, so I kind of like. I mean, I picked up the email late, but then I kind of like delayed responding even more. And then when I did respond, 36 hours later, I got kind of lambasted by the guy who was hiring me. Like, this is totally unprofessional. You shouldn't have waited this long. I was like, I was busy. I'm sorry. I was working on this UN project, ah, which was partially true. Sure. Um, and then, But also for anyone that's on the other side of that, he should have also realized, oh, this person obviously does not want this. Well, I think so. But I think he was trying to make me feel bad about that. Which is never a good idea. Well, whatever. The point is that that one went to somebody else. Yes. Which is great. So the St. Louis thing, right. is it an internship technically? It's, I mean, they're technically internships, but they were paid internships with most, which were kind of hard to score okay. at that time because so this, this was before Louis everybody was like, oh, you have to be, it was good. It was just like, it was another regional paper and yeah. I was trying to make one last go of it because I didn't want to stay totally. in some, like, you know, I could have stayed in Portland, which is close to Boston. I was like, ah, I want to just try to break out of that Absolutely. one more time. Anyway, so I waited because I knew that there were some bigger papers on the, the group and the next one to ask to interview me was the Chicago Tribune. Which is a, another Which is paper, a fantastic paper, and I was super nervous about that one. But it was great. It was actually, like, the easiest thing. And the deputy bureau chief was just like, you know, oh, you've worked on, you know, ad- advocating for legislation and, you know, stuff like if you can understand how to work at the UN and you got through Fletcher, I have no problems that you'll understand D.C., basically. No yeah. compunctions about that. So they offered me the gig. I went. I worked in D.C. for six months. It was the six months where um, 
where Congress was actually dealing with immigration for the first time for real, but mm -hmm. nobody knew it was going to be for real. So I kind of put my hand up and I was like, if no one wants to cover this because it's not on anyone's feet, like yeah. I'll be happy to do it. And then I had this fantastic editor who just kind of kept giving me rope to hang let's, myself on. Let's say the name of the editor. You Michael Tackett, who's at the New York Times now, but he's just wonderful. That's um, lovely. Yeah. Sometimes things work out. It's oh, great. So, so great. And he's still one of my favorite people in journalism and my mentors and everything like that. But anyway, he just um, kind of was had more confidence in me than I had in myself at that point. But it worked and I had a ton of front page articles. And then the Tribune in Chicago, which had rejected me three times, I think, by that point, two or three times, um, was like, do you want to come for a two year residency? And I was like, yes. And so that's how I ended up in Chicago. I had no plans to go there. Wow. It was totally random. And it was just like it, it worked. What, so, what years were these? So that was the first six months in D.C. for the paper was the first six months of 2007. Okay. So I went out to Chicago in... I went out to Chicago um, in July, right after Independence Day, because I remember I asked for a week to go sing at this Baroque Opera Institute thing in Seattle. Such a stereotype. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so I did that, and then I went to Chicago. <laughs> okay. And so it was my first time setting foot in Chicago, actually, when I showed so up. So you're willing to take a job for someone for multiple years, but you're not willing to fork over $100,000, give or take, to learn something for a few years. You know what? No, it wasn't that. It was that, like... Yeah, okay. Combination. I, I think you made the right decision. No, I think I made the right call, too. But, like, it was a combination of not just, you you know, forking over the money, but they weren't going to let me do anything. I mean, they oh, were yeah. very anti doing any sort of internships or anything. And I was like, well, I'm from Boston. I know Boston. And I ended up working at the NPR affiliate, doing morning edition shifts. I interned at the Christian Science Monitor. I, did a TV, I tried TV at New England Cable News. I didn't like it that much. I mean, so... But, like, there were things to do around Boston yeah, that I figured I absolutely. could get... Not not the same, I guess, as going full time to Columbia, but you know, but it, it's sort of you know, it kind of is the same patch thing. It together. I mean, that's what a career is, right? Yeah, yeah. So random. you end up going to DC for six months while writing for the Chicago Tribune right. in a paid internship, and then you go to Chicago for what's supposed to be two years. For what's supposed to be two years. Supposed to be two years. You get there in the summer of two thousand seven. Correct. It's from what I remember, an okay time to be in Chicago. Daly is still the mayor. Obama has announced his presidency. What are you laughing about? Because I just haven't thought about this for so long. I think about it in baseball-like <laughs> terms. It's like, well, the Cubs are one season away from going to the playoffs with the best record, even though they get washed out in the first round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Sox make a run as well, but no one seems to care comparatively. Right. Obama has just announced for the presidency. All eyes are on Chicago. Daily is mayor. They're bringing in bike lanes yeah. and all over the place. Yeah. And... Uh, and yeah, so you and go it's to like and it's the big city of like bigger... you know it's a big journalism town and everything. The only problem was that was the year that Sam Zell bought the paper too. So oh, that interesting kind of precipitated my early exit. So how did that change what you thought was going to happen and what did happen? Um, what I thought was going to happen is that I was going to go and be like a you know a. Uh, scut reporter doing metro crappy stuff in the dirt and you know struggling my way up for a few years yeah. and then maybe getting back on national and then maybe being a foreign correspondent someday and like doing that for like the next 10 or 20 years um, and that you know I'd hopefully get myself appropriately and you know kind of movie script like knocked around a little bit and like you know city of brass knuckles yeah, yeah, reporting yeah. and corruption and everything else like that i was really excited i about love that. how that's your ideal well because no no I, you're 100 percent right 
That should be your idea. It was my idea. And like that editor that I was telling you about had like given me a reading list of books basically to like everything from Boss to Humboldt's Gift to read before I got there. And so I was totally just like swimming in this mentally. Did you read Boss? Yeah. What did you think? I, oh my God. Yeah. I mean, it kind of, that was what gave me that stereotype to like just fulfilled it basically. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I read that as well around the same time. Uh, I think we're around the same age. That uh, that book shaped me way too much, <laughs> way too much. That book and uh, Ben Heck's A Thousand and One Afternoons in Chicago, oh, which I haven't read. You, there's no. I mean, that city is completely gone. This is from like first half of the century of the 1900s. So it's a completely different city. But those are the two styles that were just like, oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. Uh, and then I'm reading a lot of Turkle. Was like, oh, that yeah. was the tipping point. And then I try to get a job like you or try to do stuff in that field. And, oh, those jobs don't exist anymore. Um, That's true. They, they might for the alt-weekly or they might, but not for the scale of what you wanted to do. So you get there. That's true. This is about you, by the way. Sorry about that. No, it's totally fine. You it's, get there and it's, a, it's not exactly that. No, it well, you know what it was is that it started out that it would have been fine being exactly that. It's just that it was over the first, the second half of that year is that it turned into not exactly that. Okay. Because there was, I mean, that was the, the Sam Zell sale of the Tribune company had been in the works even mm-hmm. when I was in DC, but it finalized, I think at the end of that year, I don't remember exactly when, because it was kind of always out there and, you know, people were getting, frustrated by the whole you know of people want stories about puppies let's give them stories about puppies why are we pushing this Iraq stuff and I knew that was out there but I was kind of like oh no it's okay because this is like my first job that someone's not going to kick me out of in three weeks and I'd like to tell you that I used to work for the Huffington Post I knew that so yeah yeah I get it (laughs) I totally get it you gotta pay bills I get it I get it anyway it was just kind of um you know it was um like work-wise it was hard but i think i would have stuck through it more if that sale hadn't gone through because this like sort of malaise started to set over the newsroom and in 2008 i ended up getting a job offer that i hadn't gone looking for i had one interview um with an editor at u.s news and world report in dc before i left he ended up moving over to congressional quarterly was hiring for an immigration reporter which is what i'd done for the tribune that got me into chicago And it was right around the time that everything was starting to super shiver and shake. And I remember people saying, well, you could stay and, you know, like bet on yourself that you'll make it through everything or you could go to something that's a more safe landing pad. And it was that was like giving up the dream. Right. Because it's like you're at the Chicago Tribune and you're going back to a Capitol Hill publication, which is, you know, offering you a real job that's going to be stable for a while. What was um, your official title at the Tribune? It was like a t- it was a two-year thing, a, but it was a like reporting. What was it? It's called a residency, a okay. two-year residency. So, so there was still no a guarantee. Reporter, but at the end of the two years, there's no guarantee. Yeah. And um, not that not that even if there is a more official title, there ever is a guarantee. No, exactly. It's just but nice like to you believe feel that. a little bit yeah. more stable, right? No, so that was like. You know, and and it was you know not a very high salaried position without of course great benefits, but they ha- that's just how you know they brought people in mm-hmm. to to kind of test them out, and then you get to stay if you were good. And I mean, it was like a little bit of a you know an ego shift because I was doing really important Capitol Hill journalism in D.C., and I was definitely doing like cops and running after crimes and stuff like that stuff. Not 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 super fancy stuff when I was in Chicago. But again, it was just kind of like the atmosphere around the paper that was starting to change. Even though I didn't have that much to compare it to, mm-hmm. it was still kind of clear that things were getting like, oof. Of course. Um, and I remember one day when like the, the, the purchase had gone through and 
we, people walked into the office and there were all these like motivational poster signs of like breakthrough barriers and stuff that you only see in a dentist's office basically really? right and then well, the next uh, day yeah okay so and i was also working not like the night shift but like the 4 p.m to midnight shift because okay. it was a rotation yeah. with all the residents right and so i remember um coming in the next day fairly late or did it happen on my shift i can't remember i just remember people had used the 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 paper printers to put up posters that were like a picture of a vacuum cleaner to like stop sucking and stuff like that to make fun of it you know because it was just like yeah ah, everybody was super frustrated so huh. so when this job offer came through i hemmed and hawed about it for like a month and a half that's and a long time to be able to sit on a job i know and i said no and then they came back again and then i talked to a lot of people in the tribune and end of the day um decided to just go which i think ended up i think ended up being the right call you should tell people what you do now. Well, yeah, but see, the thing is that I took that job and then 17 months later I got laid off because there was a merger. So it's like I was kind of doomed to get kicked out either way. Let's spoil the ending. What's your current job? I'm covering defense and foreign policy at the Washington Post. So everything worked out fine. But I had to jump overseas twice to make that happen. And like, we'll get to no that net, really quick. But anyway. <laughs> we'll get to that really quick. Um, so you're in D.C. now. I'm in D.C. now. You were yep. here before me. You're still here. Obviously, that's how time works. That is. But I left. So you guys have probably sure. the same number of years as I do. The issue with being in Washington, D.C. And, and covering what you cover, doesn't every story seem relatively important? Or at the end of the day, it's no more important or less important than that robbery you're reporting on? Um, there's more, like, hysteria about every story because, you know, cable news stations like sure. to talk about it, Absolutely. too. Absolutely. But, but you were but, literally, I'm assuming you did some stuff in Chicago that maybe dealt with death. Yeah, okay, so here's the thing that I really am glad I went through that Chicago time for, just in terms of work, is that I was a fairly sheltered kid from the Boston suburbs, you know? And, I mean, not that I hadn't seen anything in life, but I was a nerd who was a classical DJ. We went over this, And you sang Baroque in Seattle. And I sang Baroque opera in Seattle for a week. (laughs) Uh, I did that in Boston, too, previously. Anyway, but, like, I hadn't really existed in an environment like south side chicago i hadn't really existed in environments like certain parts of the west you know mm-hmm. sides of chicago um and that's where you have to go when mm-hmm. you're reporting you know the cops and crimes beat which isn't even a beat i mean it was general assignment reporting so you go wherever they tell you to go and you had to find a way or i had to figure out a way to one not be scared and two, get people who didn't trust people who looked like me to trust me and how i had just been through probably some sort of terrible trauma yeah you know, because someone usually had just died and to let me into their houses and to tell me information about their lives and they didn't really probably half the time didn't care that I worked for the Tribune or read the Tribune or probably it wasn't even distributed in their neighborhoods and to just kind of knock on doors in in areas in which I wouldn't normally go you know at hours of the night at which I wouldn't normally be there you know and and make these things happen and most people that just report in DC all the way through never have an experience to do that I mean so has it I mean, they, they tell you you have to knock on doors and, and go up to people. And I have friends who are like nervous about not doing that, mm-hmm. nervous about, you know, if there's a scandal going to someone's apartment building because it's just like they're not used to it. And I don't see how I would have been able to go overseas twice and report in fully foreign environments, yeah. you know, where there's a language 
barrier. Even though I spoke some, you know, of the local language, it's still like I'm not native. It's not my space. We should say the two countries you were in. Right. I was based in Jerusalem, and I worked for the AP um, as, like, a local stringer for a while. And then I was most recently um, in Moscow working for the Washington Post um, and kind of covering. It's a two-person bureau, so we were covering the whole former Soviet Union. Uh, not to say anyone is worse or better or more intimidating, but I'm going to go with Moscow might be a little bit scarier. Moscow was at the times. Well, Moscow was the more intense experience because it's a two person bureau, yeah. and because there was a you know we had to cover a war. And yeah, you were there like, recently. Just, yeah, yeah. Um, I just got back in July. If you're listening to this and you ever read the post in the past calendar year, you've probably read like full page Sunday stories about horrible things going on that you wrote. Congratulations on <laughs> thanks, that. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, but I would read the, your byline. I was like, oh, this is different. It was different, uh, but it was, I mean... This is heavy stuff. It was heavy, but it's also like, I mean, to tell you, that's that was the, not to disparage any other reporting experience, but that was the best one I ever had, right? Because it's like you have to be in a different environment, different country sometimes, week to week, and doing a story about, you know something the Kremlin's doing and then covering, you know, Eastern Ukraine as it's a giant, messy conflict and then writing about kids that, you know, are dying of cancer because there's a dearth of drugs and nobody can afford them. And so pain medications, you know, gone up the, the, the price of it has become unaffordable for anybody. And then you're going to Tajikistan and writing about how like labor policies, migration policies in Russia are creating a backflow that's leading to terrorism. I mean, like, everything just changes. You know, hanging out with teenagers at a rap concert who are, like, becoming politically aware for the first time, and it's never the same. Yeah. And that also means that you keep having to put yourself in environments where you're like, how do I get these people to, like, me yeah. and talk to me now? Because it's a trust thing, you know, in, in, in many situations to get when you're talking not to politicians, but to people. For sure, for up, sure. Right? Quote, unquote, real people. Quote, unquote, real people. Now, how do you get people to do that other than just make eye contact and smile? And I know that's such a loaded, difficult question, but there has to be some just universal truths here. Well, how do you do it? You do it, too. It's a lot different, and you know that. And it's it's if you just met me, you wouldn't say yes to this. Okay, that's probably true. So that's completely unfair to assume. Also, I'm, I'm intentionally like punchy and antagonistic, which is not what you're trying to what you do when you're trying to get people to talk. It depends if you're who you're talking to. In Russia, sometimes that works. Oh, okay, really? Well, I mean, it depends who you're talking to. You have to just be able to read a person really yeah. quickly, right? So if it's a young person, you need to kind of be patient and get them to trust you. If it's a person who's very suspicious of you, you have to try to just kind of like let them get through that suspicion. Well, Sometimes it would be very belligerent people who just wanted to unload all of their pissed off frustrations of the last, you know, since perestroika on the United States on you and you would just have to take it for a good 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah. Try to joke once or twice in their language and so they'll like and then they get tired. And then they'd be like, okay, well, you're not like them. That's fine. So you can be my American friend. So you're sort of just so like... So now what do you want to just talk Just sort of like a boxer, just like wearing out the opponent. Yeah. Like you're going to lose this round probably the next two, but sooner or later they're going to be too tired to keep hitting. If you don't have something that you know you can just kind of link to them immediately, like yeah. them, find them where they live. I mean, sometimes it's very... Sometimes that doesn't make take very much. Sometimes it's like... I mean, I remember one day when I was trying to get a bunch of mothers of soldiers that had been captured in Ukraine alive. But it was the first time that in Russia people were like, wait, maybe Putin's not telling us the truth about the fact that, you know, our kids that are in the military aren't being sent over there. And 
it was just basically listening to them being angry about not wanting to talk to us because I did I realize what the stakes were and then somebody you know yelling do you even have children and I was like no I don't have children but you know I can just kind of try to commiserate and imagine like as another you know woman and blah 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 and yeah, that, yeah. that was enough it was it was just kind of admitting that I didn't have anything to you know that was comparable yeah that that, that works but sometimes it's wearing people out you know so yeah that's just very heavy on what it is what's the story that you wrote in Chicago that impacted you the most oh god for your oh, time god. there or your time here do you even remember anything at this, this point considering terrible. how no no it's completely fine you've been doing this for almost a decade at this point if you think about it no, I mean, I remember some stories that I did, but... <sighs> if you don't, that's perfectly No, no, fine. I do remember some stories that I did. I remember, you know, I remember <laughs> I remember the, the week-long stakeout after the Northern Illinois University shooting to try to, you know, find with, with my colleague Monique um, and how... I don't even think I ever got, like, a first byline and a story out of that, but it was just chasing, like, every mini lead and trying to find everything that we could and, like, these overnight, you know, car stakeouts that we did that was just, like, this is what reporting is like. Um, I remember, I think the story that made the most impact with my bosses when I was there was the last story that I did, which is kind of terrible timing, but that it was, like, this random police report about a... A cyclist that had died that turned into this whole thing about there was this underground bike racing scene in Chicago that was totally not that was that'd be interesting just for the fact that it existed but like super reckless and that it had had a lot of um, you know problems based in terms of like safety and stuff like that and then this was like I was saying this is that, that's why I think I knew that that there was a whole biking lane thing happening in Chicago yes. I don't remember why I this just is that bicycling was, this is bicycling but it's like like extreme cycling okay. which is really ridiculous but it was just kind of like oh you know editors are always happy when you're like I turned this non-story into a story yeah um but you know this is terrible but like I didn't do super remarkable stuff in Chicago. It was just kind of the sum total of the stuff that I got to do that was yeah. good training. I, Where did you live? Um, <laughs> so when I first got there, I sublet a place like two blocks from Montrose Harbor, and then I moved to the Viagra Triangle. <laughs> here's, here's a fun fact. Here's a fun fact. I'm from Chicago. I yeah. lived there until I was 26, 7, 8, uh-huh. something like that. I never met one person in my entire time there that like willingly chose to live near or at the Viagra Triangle. I know it was a well, it was a great apartment, and it was really close to the Tribune, and I had to work late. But were you, it was ridiculous. Were you there because you were dating someone that lived there? No. Oh then my why God. did you choose to live there? Because it was a cheap, nice apartment. That How was, cheap like, is cheap? It's like nine hundred bucks. That's not cheap for in Chicago. Bedroom, that is not cheap. It felt cheap compared oh, to DC. Not, oh, compared to DC, yeah, DC is a horrible ripoff. But no, that is not cheap in any way whatsoever. <sighs> okay, so it wasn't cheap. It was not cheap. Well, okay, so I, I had up. an amazing two bedroom in West Town for eight fifty at that okay, time. Okay, well, had I known, I you, was very common. Had I had more ties to Chicago <laughs> before I showed up, but I didn't, and I knew that I had to walk home at like one in the morning. Sure, sure. And so I wanted sure. to live fairly close. Anyway, yeah. so yes, I lived in the Viagra Triangle. It was absolutely ridiculous, but it was super, super safe because there were always old dudes parading around their twenty-one-year-old girlfriends from Kansas in the middle of the night, and so and they were never going to touch me, but they were like. <laughs> A police patrol on the street, so it was Have fine. you taken that lesson that you learned in the Viagra Triangle to anywhere else in your travels? Stay away from creepy old men. <laughs> or go towards creepy old men. But not too close. Not too close. Only if there's other women yeah, around geez. who are slightly younger. That's horrible. <laughs> are you glad you spent time there? 
Yeah, 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 I am. Yeah, I'm definitely you, glad I spent time there. Do you ever want to go back or no? It's just not. Um, you mean to yours? settle or to just to even visit? I mean, to visit. I've been back to visit oh, before. Sh- okay. Um, I like Chicago. It's just it was it was never going to be home. Why not? <sighs> it's no just outside of Boston. It's no Russia. It's no Jerusalem. It's a very. It's no St. Louis. Oh. <laughs> um. Okay, there's, first of all, there's something about being that far away from a, um, at the time of just kind of feeling like I was the flyover city that was creeping me out a little bit. But, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's I not liked how that. well you were saying that you were walking it back. Like, no, you because, couldn't commit well, to it. Well, because I was going to say being away from a coast, but then I was like, I lived in Moscow and I'd go back to Moscow. And that's not, that's not so a you'd coastal go to, thing. You'd go to Moscow back. You'd rather go to Moscow well, than Chicago. I'd go to Chicago. Moscow because it's so screwed up. It's so that's fascinating. Fair. That's you know? fair. And Chicago. That would be an interesting piece. Is, oh, which is more screwed up, yes. Chicago? Or and only you can write that piece. Someone at the post needs to hear this uh, and send you to Chicago for a week. Come on! You know, actually, the bureau chief there is from outside of Chicago, so oh, he in Russia. should yeah, so he should probably be Please. doing this piece. I am fascinated yeah. by that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he'd have a lot of insights on it. Actually, I, yes. Please make that happen. You can make that happen. I will ask him. Yes. About it. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, but. No, I think it was, um, I didn't have, how do I say this? There's a, Chicago is great. It's a fun, diverse, awesome American city. For that, I I appreciated it then and I still do now. There is something though, when you're not from Chicago and you're not ready to declare your solidarity with Chicago, underneath all that midwestern nice that's where the brass knuckles start to come back in and i didn't feel as much as i had it was easy to to fall into work it was easy to find friends it was easy to find a musical outlet it was easy to do all of this stuff and for whatever reason i just never felt like i settled in there and i'm not sure still what it was i mean i guess i never felt like i settled into moscow either because it's a place where you know it's very hot and cold and everything like that. But there were people with whom it was quite easy to get settled into very, very quickly and find that sort of a network. And so I don't know if it's because it's the first big city that I moved to thinking I'm going to be here long term and it just didn't like envelop me all at once. But but I, I, I wish I had stayed longer, but I know I never would have settled there forever, even though I went in thinking that this was, you know, going to be the next 10, 20 years of my existence. If you'd like to follow Karun or read her work, follow her on Twitter. It's at sign K-A-R-O-U-N. Her site is K-A-R-O-U-N.org. Or just go to the Washington Post because that's where she writes. Follow us on Facebook. It's at Ubi Estmia. On Twitter, it's at Ubi Estmia Pod. Feel free to follow me on Twitter. It's at sign Y-M-T-E. Listen to the other show that I produce called You, Me, Them, Everybody. Just go to youmethemeverybody.com. This song and our intro is by Daniel Knox. Thanks for listening, and have a wonderful night. I'll hug the places that you've been sleeping. Friends and family I'll be keeping. Won't help you, won't help you if you should leave.